In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. My Lord and my God, I firmly believe that you are here, that you see me and that you hear me. I adore you with profound reverence. I ask your pardon for my sins, for the grace to make this time of prayer fruitful. My Immaculate Mother, St. Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me. We begin this season of Lent, Lord Jesus, in your presence. We ask you for the insight and the courage to live Lent well. Let it be for us a time of a true imitation of you, a true union with you. Lord Jesus, we know that you went 40 days and 40 nights in the desert And the Gospel of Luke says that you ate nothing there. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit for 40 days in the wilderness, tempted by the devil. And he ate nothing in those days. And when they were ended, he was hungry. Jesus, you go into the desert to be alone, to be alone, to let yourself be confronted by your adversary, the devil, but also to be alone with God, to be alone with your Father. And this is a great model for us, this Lent, that our own Lenten practice should be a kind of journey into a desert. And what is a desert? A desert is a barren place. The Gospel says that Jesus ate no food. Part of that is because there's no food (laughs) in the desert. Very little. It's just sand and perhaps some shelter, some source of water somewhere, but not a lot enough, of course, to keep Jesus alive. But it's an image of an austere existence. It's an image of a time where Jesus lets himself be stripped down to the bare necessities in order to grow spiritually. His human nature was truly human. And so it had to grow. It had to grow through challenge. It had to grow through self-denial. It had to grow through reflection and prayer. And our human nature, which is also finite, needs to develop, needs to be perfected. And ours, unlike Jesus's, is fallen. We have sins, and we make up for those sins with this time of penance, this season of Lent. And so it's good for us. It's not fun. It is something we should get excited about. It's not something we naturally look forward to or enjoy on a natural level. But somewhere in our soul, we should be excited about Lent. We should be excited about recreating a desert experience, an experience of cutting out superfluous needs, detaching ourselves from things that we've become dependent on in order to test ourselves, in order to let our souls grow in prayer and in charity and in sorrow for our sins. Because we know it's necessary. Jesus tells Martha, 
One thing is needful. Martha, Martha, you're anxious and troubled about many things. One thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the better part. And we know that Mary in that scene is totally focused on God. She's sitting there looking at Jesus, not doing much, just being attentive to him. And Martha, because many other things are important to her, is therefore, in a certain sense, a slave to those other things. She's she's controlled by them. They make her fearful. They make her fretful. They make her, they make her nervous and worried. And Jesus says, don't worry about so many things. Get rid of those superfluous anxieties. At least for a time, detach yourself from all the unnecessary things in your life, all the things that, in a certain way, you've become a slave to. And focus on me, right? Strip down. Have a stripped down existence for 40 days. Get back to basics. And Jesus does this voluntarily. He's led by the Spirit. But we know the Spirit is the Spirit of God, and the Spirit of God is the Spirit of Christ. And he goes willingly into the desert. So Lord, help my Lenten practices be a true spiritual exercise, a true spiritual discipline in which I strip myself of superfluous needs, things that I've become, in a certain sense, enslaved to, attached to, so that I can discover that one thing is necessary, that I can live more simply on God and on prayer. What are the things, Lord, that you want me to give up? What are the things that you want me to fast from? The famous rock singer Janis Joplin once sang, Freedom is just another word for nothing left to lose. And people were struck by that line, that there's a freedom in being poor. There's a freedom in having nothing, because nothing is your master, because you're not attached to anything. And some people experience this through necessity, right, against their will, that they were born poor and they don't find the means or the education to get themselves out of it, or some financial tragedy happens to them or some other tragedy and it reduces them to poverty. And they might find that, well, yeah, things are hard, but in a certain sense, I'm freer. I'm free from the worries of trying to keep up in a materialistic, consumeristic society. There's a certain freedom in not having the material wealth that I used to have or never having had it. But we can do this also voluntarily, right? To live simply. To possess things as if we did not possess them. Not putting our heart in them. Not seeking our satisfaction or our security from them, but from God. And this is what Jesus does, right? Jesus goes into the desert where there's nothing and he stops eating for 40 days and he's detached from all of his friends and family for 40 days. He's totally alone, dependent on nature and God and the calories that his own body is carrying with him voluntarily on purpose. 
to experience a certain freedom of spirit which lets him battle the devil and lets him come back full of the spirit in his human nature and start his earthly mission as Messiah and preacher, healer, redeemer of the world. And this is the opportunity for us in Lent to be fully willing to enter a kind of a spiritual desert, to deny our bodies the foods that we like and the amount of food that we like and the rest that we like and the distractions, perhaps especially, that we like to fill our mind and that we depend on for certain psychological outlet or satisfaction, to strip ourselves of several things that we usually lean on, that we've become dependent on, so that we too can have freedom of spirit, so that we can experience a little bit what it's like to have only one thing necessary, which is God and our soul's goodwill. To be able to face a little bit, you know, what's underneath? What's really my struggle underneath the surface problems, the surface struggles in life? Not be afraid of stripping away the superfluous so we can get to the essential. Do I really love God? Do I really love others? Do I really know how to pray? And getting rid of distractions and getting rid of the things that are unnecessary and forcing our bodies to be uncomfortable and therefore our spirits to accept a certain level of distress or lack of comfort is a way of helping our soul to grow helping our mind and our will to expand and to be and to be more conscious of what's really there what's really important to me do i know how to pray i remember one of the most foolhardy things i've done in my life took place in college when a group of friends of mine decided hey let's let's go bungee jumping and we were going to school in, in texas and during those years, there was kind of a bungee jumping craze. And these people would build towers. They look kind of like cell phone towers or typical small radio tower. And it would be a bungee jumping kind of station, right? It was kind of rickety, you know, just looked like scaffolding. And you'd get there and you'd pay whatever. I can't remember what it was, 25 bucks or something like this. And you'd sign this form saying that you wouldn't sue them if you died. And they put you on a scale, and the scale would determine which cord that they would use when you actually jumped. And then you walked up this structure. At the time, I was, I still am a little bit afraid of heights. It's one of the reasons I did this, to see if I could overcome that. You walk up this uh, structure, and... You're going higher and higher, and you can see the ground beneath you, getting more and more nervous. And then you get up there, and they and they put a, a vest on you, and then they clip the bungee cord to the front of this vest. And then you jump, and there's a mat on the ground beneath you, kind of like a big air mattress there on the ground. And I remember I jumped off backwards. I was too afraid to plunge face first and so I jumped off backwards and event you know you see the sky at first and then eventually you see the mat and you're hurtling towards it and then 
the last instant you snap back, right? The bungee cord catches and you are catapulted back into the air and then you bounce up and down a couple of times and then they lower you down onto the mat and it's over. And it was kind of exhilarating experience to say the least. I think it was uh, very rash looking back on it. And reflecting on it, the thing that uh, struck me in later years was how much implicit trust I put in that operation. But I trusted, without thinking about it, of course, that's why if I thought about it, I probably wouldn't have done this, but I trusted the scale and I trusted those people, more or less. And I trusted the cord and I trusted the clip and I trusted the harness Right with my earthly, li- <laughs> with my earthly life, and if any of those things was defective or off, you know I would have hit that mat pretty hard. And I trusted the mat too, right? Maybe the mat could have popped, and I would have went right through to the to the cement underneath it. And so I put all of this trust in these various implements and and these people who were running this kind of shady operation and all of this without much reflection that's what happens when you're a teenager right Uh, you don't think about things and you need a more developed frontal lobe and to get advice from people because you're kind of clueless in any event I did it all without really thinking about it and this is a little bit like our life that we go into life and We want to be happy and we want to be secure and we want to have meaning and we want to be free from certain anxieties or necessities and we want to strive for things. And we, and we construct things that we rely on for all of that. But I rely on my career for meaning and I rely on others for my support and my happiness and I rely on food and entertainment for pleasure and for sustenance. And we do this without really reflecting, well, are these things all that trustworthy? Or have I put too much trust in them without really reflecting on it? Is there a better cord out there somewhere? Is there a better clip? Is there a better scale? Obviously, it's not that those things aren't important or necessary in their own way. But have I put too much trust in them? Am I relying on them too much? And are some of them false, right? Should I be very suspicious about relying on some of the activities and some of the people and some of the habits in my life that I've come to rely on for my joy or for my peace? And Lent is a time to to reevaluate and to examine that and say, well, what are the ones that I can see if I can do without? What would it be like to live life without some of the things that I usually depend on? And so we give them up. And just as Jesus goes into the desert and gives up his career up to that point and gives up eating, (laughs) the gospel says that he didn't eat for 40 days. He gives up being with his friends and family. Like just to be alone, to face himself, to face God. 
and to face sin, not his own sinfulness, but the source of all sin, right? the devil for us. Lord Jesus, what can I live without? How can I see this Lent as an opportunity to let you be the bungee cord and let you be the hook and let you be the scale and let you be the strap so that I depend more on you, God, for my happiness and for my security and for my sustenance and less on anything else, even the things that, in a certain sense, are necessary. During Lent, I take a break even from the necessary things, right? Use them less so that I could depend more on God. Let my soul grow in that way in faith and austerity and the one thing necessary. And he ate nothing in those days. And when they were ended, he was hungry. Now in our modern softness and in our tendency to not to trust the word of God, Sometimes we read this and we're like, ah, he didn't really eat nothing, right? He probably had to eat something. 40 days a long time. Oh my gosh. How did he survive? He would have died. And reflecting on this, I'm of the opinion that this is true, that Jesus lived a strict fast for 40 days. Of course he had to drink. You can't go without water for like three days. But you can go without food for 40 days. It's absolutely possible. More than that, it's most likely that most of us would not die after 40 days of fasting. As a matter of fact, if we had water and vitamins, most of us would be perfectly fine, if not healthier, (laughs) after 40 days of fasting. Now, I'm not saying that this is you should do this. Uh, Most of us should not. But if Jesus did 40 days... And if Angus Barbieri did 382 days of fasting from 1965 to 1966, he has the Guinness Book of Records, 382 days of eating nothing. Well, if Jesus did 40 and our pal Angus from the Guinness Book of Records, a good Scotchman, did 382 well, I can fast perhaps a couple of times a week, and perhaps more strictly than I'm than I'm used to, with a little bit more courage, a little bit more bravery. And the church is so gentle with us. Thank God we have a gentle mother church. And she tells us, okay, fasting is uh, the equivalent of less than two full meals a day. You can have one normal-sized meal, and the other... Two meals can be smaller, but not equaling a full meal. And, you know, that's, that's fine and, and it's good. And we thank the church for making this accessible to everyone. But for most of us, I don't know about you, but that doesn't leave me hungry. That doesn't feel like a fast. For a lot of us, it's more than we eat on a normal, (laughs) on a normal day. And so we have to look at our own level. What is a, what would a real fast look like for me? What would a Lent that was really generous and in which I was really challenging my body to need less so that my spirit can wake up, right? St. Paul says it, the, the flesh wars against the spirit and the spirit wars against the flesh. 
And so if the flesh wars against the spirit, we have to deny the flesh with fasting, with other forms of bodily mortification, with denying our curiosity, denying our comfort. We have to deny the flesh if the spirit is going to be more alive. It's kind of like we're caught in a, we're caught in a in a battle. The spirit and the flesh are battling it out, and we're caught in a kind of crossfire. And if we want the if we want the spirit to win, well, we have the body armor, we have the weapons against the flesh of mortification and self denial, fasting from food, fasting from media, fasting from ways of resting that we're too attached to, right? That protects us against the incursions of the flesh. And it gives the spirit a chance, right, to grow, to free itself from the slavery of the flesh, the slavery to our basic bodily needs and the temptations of the flesh. So Jesus helped each one of us discern that we can go to spiritual direction and talk to someone we we trust about this, each in our own case. But Jesus helped me to discern, what does fasting really look like for me? If you, Jesus, go into the desert for 40 days, and Lent is my time in the desert, well, I want it to be real time. I don't want to just give up something superfluous that's kind of annoying, but doesn't really help me to pray and focus and face God, and face myself, and face my sinfulness, and make some real spiritual progress. Lord Jesus, give me insight. What does a generous, helpful Lent look like for me? And Lord Jesus, give me courage so that I can do this, and, and endurance, right, to stick to it for the 40 days. Our 40 days of Lent are patterned after the 40 days of Jesus in the desert, and Jesus' 40 days in the desert were patterned after the 40 years that Israel, the people of God, wandered through the desert. And the spiritual significance of that 40 years is that it's a transition, right? They're moving from centuries, right? Generations of slavery in Egypt to freedom, right? They're moving from being someone else's people to God's people. And that's a transition. And they have to learn by wandering in the desert, they have to learn to keep trusting God through the transition. And at times, they doubt, right? They're like, hey, they tell Moses, why'd you lead us out here in the wilderness, right? God could have killed us in Egypt where we had food and we were more comfortable, right? I'd rather die there as a slave than die out here in the wilderness. And so they have to learn to trust God and God gives them manna, right? The food from heaven that the Bible says that they ate for 40 years. And so why 40 years in the desert? Well, because it's a process moving from slavery to freedom, right? Being someone else's people beholden to another creature to being gods, to belonging to God, is a process. It's a process of purification. It's a process of self-denial. It's a process of trusting more and more in God and less and less in oneself and in creatures. And that's a great image for Lent, that 
We're moving to freedom of spirit. We're moving to freedom of a greater prayer life. We're moving to freedom from different forms of slavery, which is all the forms of sin. Jesus says it very clearly in the Gospel of John. Jesus says, whoever sins is a slave to sin. But it's a process, right? It's a process of denial. It's a process of purification. It's a process of greater times of prayer. And that takes perseverance and it takes trust. And so at times in, in our 40 days of Lent, we might be like those Egyptians and look back and say, oh my gosh, I wish we never started this. This is hard. I miss my uh, favorite video game or I miss my Twinkies or <laughs> I miss whatever. And that's precisely the moment. Don't give up. Don't give in. Right? Turn to God and stick it out. Right? Accept, embrace, embrace the feeling of fear that you won't be happy without your Twinkie or without your video game or that you can't make it to Easter to enjoy those things, but now with a greater freedom and a greater moderation, right? That sense of fear, that sense of loss is good, right? That's the spirit starting to wake up, starting to free itself from these unnecessary and false necessities and uh, these attachments. I remember hearing Bishop Javier Echeverria, who was at that time the, the prelate of Opus Dei, saying once, he said, in Opus Dei, we have to be comfortable being uncomfortable. We have to kind of embrace the difficulty of challenging ourselves, right? embrace a kind of austere life. And this is Jesus. Right? Jesus says, if you would be my disciple, you have to take up your cross every day and follow me. Whoever would follow me needs to take up his cross every day. Come after me. And a cross every day is uncomfortable. And so that's something we have to get used to and learn to love and embrace. And Lent is this wonderful opportunity to do that in a more explicit way, in a more radical way, in a, in a freer way. And so even though a certain part of our soul is like, oh, I don't like Lent, this is hard, not, no fun, I'm afraid, I feel like I'm not going to get through this. Another part of our soul has to be like, yes, this is awesome, I love Lent, I'm sick of being addicted to this or that thing, I'm sick of not being able to think clearly, I'm sick of not being able to pray as I want, and I embrace the discipline of letting go of all these things that are unnecessary, all these things that bog me down, all these things that make me more like Martha than Mary, so that I can be simpler and so that I can be more spiritual, so that I can pray better, so that I can be more capable of loving others, so that I can move from the slavery of sin to the freedom and glory of the children of God. Part of us, and it has to be a growing part, is excited about Lent. Thank God I can deny myself all these things that are holding me back. Thank God I can give the spirit a little bit more ammunition to fight against the flesh. We go to Our Lady, Our Lady Mary, Our Mother. Pray for us. Accompany us on this Lenten journey. Your son Jesus goes into the wilderness alone. But we're not that brave. We go with you as our traveling companion. Stay with me this Lent, Mary, my mother, 
Help me to be generous. Teach me to pray. Teach me above all to lean on God, to learn how to make him the one thing necessary by stripping myself of other things that I have mistakenly made more necessary, more important than they should be. Mary, our mother, pray for us. I thank you, my God, for the good resolutions, affections, and inspirations which you have communicated to me in this meditation. I ask your help to put them to effect, my Immaculate Mother, St. Joseph, my Father and Lord, my guardian angel, intercede for me.